You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. Jesus, when Lazarus became sick, was on the other side of the Jordan where John used to baptise. And it's even assumed now that the place he was baptising was actually the place where Jesus himself was baptised. It's about 20 miles away, which in that kind of context of where they lived was about a day's journey. You know, when you think of the climate, the heat of the day, we might not think to walk 20 miles in a day was particularly difficult, but for them, the terrain and the heat, 20 miles was an average that they would do. So it's, it's 20 miles away, a day's journey. So Mary and Martha, Lazarus is sick, they send a message. Jesus, the one you love, come back and heal him. So the messengers depart. It's going to take them at least a day to get there. Depending what part of the day, it could be the next day, because if night fell, it, they won't carry on there, because they've got to find him as well. So they find Jesus. And one of the questions that's caused people to think and consider for some time is, why did Jesus wait two more days? You might never have thought it, but a lot of people have. Why did he wait two more days? The Bible is very clear that Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and that they loved him. There's no doubt that love, his love for them, wasn't the reason or lack of love why he remained two more days. So he hears the message. But if you may see the message, the way they word it is, Lord, the one you love is sick. And I think there was a bit of reason why they put the one you love. I just think somehow that they were wanting Jesus to drop everything and come straight back. And they were just reiterating, look, the one, the one you love is sick. Although we love all of us, the one you love is sick. Do you understand? I just wonder sometimes if there was a bit of, well, if we, I'm not saying it's connected, but you know what I mean? Sometimes you can try and persuade people by the words you use. The one you love is sick. And I think the implication is there. Please come back as quickly as you can. So why did Jesus delay? Why did he delay? Well, there's other questions been asked. Why didn't Jesus heal Lazarus from a distance. Do you remember when the, the Roman centurion came? And he asked Jesus, heal my servant? And Jesus said, I'll come. And the man said, no, you, you don't need to come to my house. All you need to do is say the word. Because I also am a man under authority. I give an order and they do it. I say, come and he comes. You just say the word, Jesus. And Jesus said, I've not heard such faith in the whole of Israel before. So why didn't Jesus just say the word? There was also another incident where a nobleman came to him when he was in Cana. And the, the Cana, he had a son in Capernaum. And he was saying to him, he's, he's nearly dying, would you please just come and heal him? And it was that phrase where Jesus said, oh, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And the man pleads with him, please heal my son. And Jesus said, go, it's done. 
So why didn't Jesus do the same? It wasn't lack of love. He could have spoken the word, but for some reason, he didn't. So we go on. We realize also, the reason why Jesus was there on the other side of the Jordan was because very recently, they tried to stone him to death in Jerusalem. And so some questioned, was he afraid to go back? Because Bethany is only two miles from Jerusalem. They wanted to stone him in Jerusalem because he was claiming to be the Son of God, which to them was blasphemy. Not because he did miracles, but because of who he said he was. So was Jesus afraid to go back? Jesus knew what his destiny was. He was totally convinced that he had come and that he would die for the sins of mankind. He had to die in Jerusalem. He had to die at Passover to fit in with the Jewish regular, you know, the killing of the lamb. It had to be. And I think Jesus knew he would not die outside of any of that time. And actually we told, he, he set his face like flint as he went to Jerusalem knowing what was coming. He chose the place and the time when he would die. And he knew that the Jews, he had no fear of the Jews stoning him or whatever else. He knew when he was going to die. And so it wasn't fear of the Jews. It's all about timing for Jesus. So that wasn't the reason, I don't believe. So why did he not go? Some have said that maybe Jesus allowed Lazarus to die so that it can show an even bigger miracle. But it's very interesting. Both Mary and Martha use the same words, Lord, if you'd been here, he would not have died. And Jesus even said to his own disciples when he had the message, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because if I was, you wouldn't now see something greater. Because if Jesus had been there, he wouldn't have let him die. I don't believe that. It would have healed him. Jesus would not have allowed that to happen. And Jesus actually said, this is going to be for God's glory. Some have thought Jesus was a bit of glory seeking for himself. It wasn't. Everything Jesus did was always to bring glory to the Father. But the offshoot of that was, as he brought glory to the Father, the Father glorified him. You know, we don't have to chase our own things to be looking good. If we want to only glorify Jesus, we will be glorified. Don't have to be anything about pride or arrogance, nothing. You have your focus to just glorify what God wants to do, and he will bring glory to you, however that is shown. So let's try and just put a bit of context to the distance and the journey. Really, you need to do this in reverse order. When Jesus got back, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. So let's go to day one. 
Lazarus is sick, and obviously he's very sick for the sisters to send such a message. And the probability is, the likelihood here is, is that he died on the day the messengers were sent. So if that's the first day, Jewish tradition, burial tradition, used to be, I don't know if it's the same now, you buried the person on the day they died. So Lazarus would have been buried the very day he died. So if that was the day they sent the messengers, by the time the message got to Jesus, Lazarus would already have been dead and in the tomb. And then he waits two days, the second and the third day. Third day. And on the fourth day, we're going back. And then you, you have the, the account there where you see that um, Mary, Martha meets him first of all. And they have this talk about Jesus, if you'd been here. And he encourages her, look, keep believing, keep having faith. Keep going on. Don't give up. And then she goes and gets Mary and brings Mary. And Mary says again, if only you'd been here. And Jesus sees weeping. And he sees the other mourners all weeping. Shortest verse in the sentence in the Bible, Jesus wept. And I've always looked at that with one view. I've always believed that was Jesus knowing, empathizing so deeply with Mary and Martha that he wept. And I believe that is still true, but I think there's something more. I've often thought, well, he could have said, stop crying, he's coming out in two minutes. Stop it, you don't need to cry. But he didn't. I always put that down that he felt such pain. I have to tell you something. I have gone into the modern age. What? Yep. After constant badgering by my daughter, my grandchildren, I've got an iPhone. My old Nokia has gone. So, Verity, tell Joe he's the only one with a Nokia now. And so, Holly's helped me set it up. Kez has been over for the weekend. And she said, Grandad, you need a Bible app. So she goes on, you need this one, it's done. So I've now got the NIV on here, I've got NLT, and I've got the Amplified Bible. And I thought, I'm going to read this from the Amplified Bible. So, switch it on, open up the app, and there it is. And as I'm reading, I see this little kind of, I can't just, it's like a little square thing above the, some of the verses. And it came down to the one where Jesus wept. And actually, the, the phrase was a bit more just before Jesus wept. He says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This is amplified. And this is one of these little squares. So I clicked on it. And straight away, it gives an in, a bit of a greater understanding. And this is what it said. In Greek, this term, which is used four times in the New Testament suggests an emotional indignation or sternness. Jesus was angry at the sorrow that death brought. And he gets reiterated in other scriptures. He was angry at the sorrow that death brought. He empathized, but there was a, a righteous anger, because death shouldn't have been like that. 
It wasn't supposed to have been like that. And what Jesus was coming from for was to destroy death and the fear of death because it shouldn't have been like that. And I was only hearing part of the story of empathy. But it's wider. He was angry. Because death causes sorrow, does it not? For all of us, no matter how great your faith, it causes us sorrow. And that's what Jesus was doing. And we know the story. He calls Lazarus out and there's an amazing miracle. But what you might not know is that Jews had a, an understanding about death. They believed that the soul hung around for three days. And somewhere, there must have been some thinking that if it was within three days, there was still hope that the two could reconnect, body and soul. But after three days, it goes, and then they believed the body began to decay. Hence, four days is going to be an awful smell. So four days is a day later than they could understand there could be a reconnection. So he calls Lazarus out. Interesting, he doesn't tell Lazarus to come to life. He tells him to come out. And it's interesting, and some have commented on that, he calls him by name. And somebody once said, if he hadn't said, come out, Lazarus, and he just said, come out, how many more people would have been knocking on the tomb doors to be let out? But he called him by name. And he came forth. Let's just think what it means to be raised from the dead. Doctors say that within six minutes, five, six minutes, the brain function stops. It's white. It's gone. All the memories that were there, gone. Lost. Lazarus was raised to life four days after. I'd just like to share something, and I might have said this before, so I apologise if I have, but it fits in well with what I want to say, I believe. Probably going back now nearly, I don't know, getting on for 20 years. How many? 18. Sarah was 18, so I won't tell you all the old series. Oh, it's more than that then. Um, anyway, and my mother... My aunt and my sister were on a, a bus that was taking them out to Sainsbury's, but then days it was Plinko. And as the, the, cut, the, the bus came down towards where the new Lidl turn-off is, the driver had a heart attack. And the bus shot across the road, and it hit an oncoming lorry. Obviously, the driver died, and as a result of that, my mother died, my aunt died, and my sister, emotionally, he was also in the wreckage was just, I was going to say messed up, but really damaged. My mother had a, a, a spleen had gone. So they took her to Torbay, 
And I remember that evening they had to remove a spleen and the doctors came and said, we've got to take her back into surgery because we can't stop the bleeding and we don't know what else to do. And I remember Bob came over and Bob and I went to my mother and we, Bob prayed over as she was in bed. And we was then all in the family room. They took her into theatre. And I think within about 20 minutes, we heard footsteps coming down the corridor. And the first thing you think, what's gone? What's happened? This is quicker than you would imagine. And the doctor stood there, the surgeon. He said, well, I can't tell you what's just happened. The bleeding stopped and the kidneys are working. But they needed to, needed to put her on a ventilator. And so the idea was to do a tracheostomy. And so the surgeon or the doctor did it, but sadly, he put it in the wrong place. And we didn't know at the time, he'd already done that to somebody else. And so air went when it shouldn't have done, air didn't go where it should, and so she had a, a major heart attack as he was doing this. And we were told it was so severe that actually oh, the brain was virtually not functioning. But they would keep her on life support over the weekend, but then on the Monday, they would like to switch the machine off. So I remember as a family, we prayed and said, God, if this is your will for mother to be... And we would probably would have said mam in those days. For our mam to go, then that's be it. But if you want to heal, we've already seen you do something, then fine, we'll trust you for that as well. And so the Monday morning came and all the family was there. So my brother and his family came from Bridport and we were all there, Simon, Sarah, and they switched off the machine. And probably within five minutes, she'd passed away and gone. But the thing in all of that that really could hit you most was the thing that in all the, the memories that she had with us. Not just as families, but the individual memories that only you and your parent had, even though there was others. Those, gone. That was one of the worst things, to know all that has now gone. Lazarus walked out of the tomb after four days, and it was Lazarus who came out, not a zombie. Every thought, every memory was restored. Every single one, good and bad, good times and bad, good thoughts and bad thoughts, quiet thoughts, him and God, God knows all of that. Every single one, I have to believe that. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been Lazarus walking out. What an amazing... So I'm just telling you here, somebody, God, is recording everything about you. In your mind, your emotions, he has to. Otherwise, Lazarus wouldn't have come forth. You know, and what about the widow's son being taken? You know, almost on the way to be buried. This is the only occasion that Jesus called somebody from the tomb. We don't have any other story. I don't believe, unless I'm wrong. I don't know any. But he certainly stopped the widow's, you know, the funeral procession with the, the widow's son on the way to the tomb. But Jairus' daughter and the others... They were dead, and Peter, we have miracles of being raised to life, but I think most of them would have been over six minutes long when they got there, and they were restored. What an incredible thought, every thought's being recorded.
almost like a backup somewhere. And so I can believe that for heaven as well. I can believe that for heaven. The other amazing thing, whatever killed Lazarus was healed. Whatever killed him was healed. Whatever, whatever killed those that had died was put right. Absolutely amazing. Amazing. I thought of something the other day, and I might have told you this some years, some happened some years ago, about God knowing all our thoughts and memories and everything else. And how we can connect with people at deeper levels than our physically we could understand. Janet's Aunt Ethel died quite a few years ago. I can't remember when. It must have probably been the early 80s. And I, I think she'd had a heart attack or something. She was in hospital. I'd gone on a Sunday afternoon. And when I got there, she was in a side ward. No, no other member of the family was there at all. But in all intents and purposes, she was unconscious on the bed. And I thought, I was going to pray with her. I thought, well, she's not almost with us. And so I began to speak in tongues. And then for some reason, I felt I needed to go near the bed and speak tongues into her ear. Might sound weird, but I can only tell you, as I did that and I carried on, every so often she nodded. That's all I can tell you. Every so often, it was like she was nodding in agreement. We've got a big God. Can do more than we can even imagine or see or perceive. Absolutely staggering. Could we put that picture up, John, of... Um, this is only a caricature thing, but I just want to talk a couple of things about this. Okay? The stone. Lazarus behind the stone in the tomb. How more final to our human experiences when there's a stone there, it's gone, finished. How many hopes and dreams feel as if they're behind somewhere, we're never going to see them again because they're dead and gone? How many times? How many? And yet Paul said that there was a time when each one of us were dead in our trespass and sins. In a sense, locked away from real life because we were dead spiritually dead, locked behind, almost like a sealed tomb. We couldn't get out ourselves. And in a sense, separating us from God as well. Sin did that. Sin did that. And then it's like in our own lives, God begins to work. And Holy Spirit begins to speak. Can you put the next one on, John? And it's like then, the stone, if you like, gets kind of pushed away. We're still in the tomb. We're still dead. Spiritually dead. But now the stone's rolled away. And then, I think one of the most amazing things of all, God calls you. He calls us by name into life. 
to accept what Jesus did, to believe in him. It's all by faith and belief, to believe. And then he calls you by name and we come out. Just before we get to the grave clothes, why would anybody want to stay in a tomb when there was life, abundant life waiting outside for them? Why? My son Simon kept some pigs down at the bottom of Laywell Lane. And pigs love to dig. Honestly, they can dig their own size in, under the ground and carry on. They love it. That's why it's so appalling when some poor pigs are kept with concrete floors. Just awful. But there comes a time when they've dug everything out, so you have to move them. Now, to keep them in, there was a fence about that high with three strands of wire that if they touched it, it hurt. And I've touched it, and it hurt. And I think John's had a shock off them. They hurt. So the pigs, they'll go, but they know what's going to happen. But the day comes, you want to take them from in here, you want to give them better ground. You want to move them out from what's all now used up. So you remove the fence, you turn up, you move it. So the fence now has gone from here to that wall, and the pigs are stood here. And guess what they do? Come on, you've all got to go, guys, all, all fresh there. And they get here, and they won't go any further. And you try and push a pig from behind that don't want to go there. They're big. It's gone. There's nothing holding them with whatsoever. But it's only their past experiences that stop him going on into the lovely ground. How the past can stop us moving on into the beauty of God's presence and into his life that he's got for us. He's wearing grave clothes. He comes out, and one of the last bits Mandy read, Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Why? Because you don't need grave clothes when you're alive. Grave clothes speak of death. They speak of bondage, being locked away. Now you don't need them. But how many of us can still live life as if we've got grave clothes on? How often will we be pulled back to what used to be? not what we are now in Christ, not coming into the new life. The new life says that the old's gone and the new's here. I'm a new creation. You know, I'm not tied there anymore. The old's dead, buried. That's left. Why would we want to... And the devil works on it. He works on our past and tries to make you think you've still got grey clothes on and it hinders you. But now we've got robes of righteousness. I just want to make a point. I'm going to finish a couple of minutes. I just want to make this point. We weren't buried in Lazarus' tomb. Paul says, we were buried with Christ in his tomb. And scripture makes it perfectly clear that Jesus' grave clothes were left inside the tomb. It makes a point. That's where they were left. They didn't come out into the world and somebody else take it off. That's our new life. If only we could grasp it. If only we could understand the old's gone and we are new 
and we're here. It says in Galatians, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Sounds strange. It's for freedom that he set us free. Not free to go into bondage again, but for real freedom. Sarah and Dave's wedding anniversary on Tuesday, their silver wedding anniversary. So they've gone away for a long weekend. So Holly's been staying with us since Thursday. About five weeks ago, four weeks ago, the Bible says that we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given a spirit of love, of power, and of sound mind in our new creation. We've been given spirits of sonship, so we're not orphans. God's our Father. Also says the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. They're very easy to say these phrases. And about four or five weeks ago, I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, if the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, shouldn't it affect how I live? Shouldn't it affect my body, my mind, my thinking process? Shouldn't it? The power that raised Jesus from the dead... And I said to him, God, if only we could tap in to that power that's available. And on Thursday night, I don't know where Jan was, we were watching the television and I started flicking channels. And it came to the God channel, what is it, TBN? 65 or 64. And we just clicked on and there's a chappy there and he was going to interview two leaders from churches in America. And one of them was from Bethel Healing Rooms. And he said, tell me, up to date, what's going on there? Up to date, not, you know, last week, and last, what's happening now? And he began by saying, well, a young woman came in the other day, or whatever, came in, and her jaw was all disfigured, constant pain. And he said, I looked at her, and all I could feel was a, an, a, a love welling up inside me. God's love welling up for this young woman. She's about 20-something. And all I could do, I just reached out and I just held her face. And I felt a jaw go back into place. And I said to her, can I give you a fatherly hug? And she said, yes. He said, as I hugged her, God was revealing stuff about her life. It was a father who'd hit her and caused this pain. And then the guy said, well, what else? He said, well, I've had some thoughts going through my mind. He said, well, will you share them? He said, yeah. And the thoughts were, if we have this power that raised Jesus from the dead living in me, shouldn't it affect my body? Shouldn't it affect every part of my being? And he said, "These, if only I could he didn't use the word tap into. If only I could touch or release some of that, what a difference it would make how we dealt with people and how we touch people's lives. And I sat on the settee, and I was actually quite stunned that he's saying virtually the same words that I, I believe I had four or five weeks ago. I want you to think about that and pray about that. If the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, shouldn't it be making a difference? Not only in us, but through us. If only we could grasp some of these things, the enormity of it.
I just want you to watch a little clip. It's a one-minute clip. This is about a little girl born prematurely, not heard before. And I want you to think, as you see this little clip, how we should respond when we hear God's voice for the first time and the joy it brings to God's heart as well. respond like that when we hear God's voice God an amazing thing shall we pray Father thank you for a great salvation thank you you called us by name and you called us out of the tomb into a new abundant life I'm so conscious Father that there's people who might not have had that experience of being of coming out of the tomb into that new life and knowing they're new the old's gone and the new's here I just pray today, as I've already been heard, somebody spoke earlier about a new revelation, Father, of your love for each one of us and the power that is available for us who believe. That power is like the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. What awesome power. Help us to grasp what you've achieved for us by your death and resurrection. Help us to take hold of it, Father, boldly and to believe that what you said you meant and that we can live in that new abundant life. Thank you, you call us by name, and thank you, you've called us into a new life, a new resurrected life, and that Jesus lives in us by the power of his spirit, and his is an indestructible life. Thank you for your word, and the blessings of your word, and the treasures we find there, treasures of life. We're so grateful, Father. Bless your name, and thank you, in Jesus' name. For listening, for more information, visit Brixham.Church.